Hey ladies, welcome to the Yas and Amen podcast, where we talk about growing in our faith with biblical truths, real life testimonies, and meditating on God's word. Now I'm your host, Priscelis Dominguez. Let's get it. Hey, hey y'all. So this month we are doing a series, November 2021. We're going to do our first series. We may do some more in the future. We may not ever do it again, <laughs> but um, I know we usually don't do series on this podcast but we're doing it this time and the episodes for this month won't really include my words uh, outside of the intro and outro it will include words of other women who are teachers and speakers um, preachers who will be teaching you um, based on a sermon they taught at our Sow the Seed Summit from this year so to learn more about the Sow the Seed Summit listen to the end but here we have Felicia Masonheimer who is a dear friend and sister to me. She is a best-selling author and she hosts a podcast called Verity, which you should definitely check out. It's a lot about um, theology and the church and Christianity and the Bible. Um, she holds a degree in religion from Liberty University and lives in Northern Michigan with her husband and three kids. And her work can be found on her website. She blogs, she's amazing on Instagram, providing resources and encouragement. So make sure you check her out, follow her. She truly is a gift to the body. So check out this episode as she teaches us about sowing seeds of knowledge, seeds of knowledge as in knowledge of the Bible, theology, right? There are some things that we simply just don't know, understand that maybe we won't learn in a Sunday series or a Sunday sermon. So here is Felicia Masonheimer teaching us all about sowing seeds of theological knowledge. Hello, I'm Felicia Masonheimer, founder of Every Woman a Theologian, and I am so excited to join you today as we talk about sowing seeds of knowledge. We're going to start in Ephesians 5 because that's going to be our foundation for everything we talk about in our time together. We're looking at Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, which says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I don't know about you, but sometimes I look around me and I feel like these days are evil. <laughs> and so we need to know what the will of the Lord is, just like the Ephesian Christians needed to know what the will of the Lord is. But notice that he's saying that this will of the Lord is in contrast to being foolish. Oftentimes, when we think about the opposite of foolish, we think someone being wise, someone who has knowledge, someone who is acting with discernment and maturity. But instead of using those words, he says, know what the will of the Lord is. So we can make the connection that knowing the will of the Lord is the way to be wise, to have knowledge, to be discerning, and to be mature. So the question then comes up for us, how do I know what the will of the Lord is? How do I know what is right and what is wrong and what is my guiding principle in this age of confusion. And so in today's uh, little time that we're going to be going through the word together, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at what the knowledge is that God gives, how he reveals his will to us through the Bible, through the word, how the doctrines of Christianity actually lead us to a more intimate relationship with God himself. So let's talk about doctrine a little bit. If you hear the word doctrine, you might immediately think this is going to be a really dry session. I'm going to be bored to tears. 
Hopefully that's not the case. Doctrine is a word that describes the core tenets or core beliefs of a specific theological framework or um, religion. So Islam has its own doctrine, Christianity has its own doctrine, and those doctrines describe what we believe. What do we adhere to when we say that we're Christians? So I want to read you a little quote. This is by C.S. Lewis, and it's in the foreword to his to this book by an ancient church father named Athanasius. C.S. Lewis wrote the foreword to this book saying, For my own part, I tend to find doctrinal books often more helpful in devotion than devotional books, and I rather suspect that the same experience may await others. I believe that many who find that nothing happens when they sit down or kneel down to a book of devotion would find that the heart sings unbidden while they are working their way through a tough bit of theology with a pipe in their teeth and a pencil in their hand. What C.S. Lewis is saying is that people crave a deeper knowledge of who God is. They crave to know more about the Bible, but oftentimes they just think that maybe it'll be boring or dry, and they never try it. So hopefully, you'll see that theology can be very exciting. But before we get to the excitement of theology, let's talk about what theology is at all. Theology is the study of the nature of God. It can become simply a system of beliefs about God, removed from our actual relationship. But it shouldn't for the Christian. It should be a study of the nature of God that makes us excited and delighted to know him. Now here's the thing. Everybody actually has a theology. We all have a set of beliefs and assumptions about who God is. We pick things up from our life and our experience, Bible studies, church, and it all shapes what we believe about God. The problem is we have to determine if the things we're believing are actually true. Because we can come up with beliefs about God that we take from having an abusive father, a critical mother, from being adopted, from our experience with racism. We can pick up these different things that we see in culture and they can start to shape our view of God. We can start to think that God doesn't love me as a person. God is all judgment and no grace. Or God is all grace. He doesn't care how I live. There are so many assumptions that we can start to form about the character of Christ based on our experience with sinful, flawed people. And so we want to take the theology that we, we have innately and we want to check it against our standard, which is the word of God. So if we have this theology and we're measuring it against the word, how then do we know that this theology is right? How do we know what we think about the nature of God is right? We have to be in the word regularly. We have to be opening this and be willing to expose ourselves to the truth that is in here. And sometimes, like C.S. Lewis was saying, it can be a lot easier just to read the devotional books. Now, here's the thing. I've actually written a Christian devotional lifestyle book, so I'm not against them. But I do want to encourage you that most of your time should be spent in the actual Bible as opposed to reading devotional type style books. The reason is those books are a secondhand communication of God's truth. They're not the first hand edition 
And if you think about it, there are people all over this world today who don't have access to this word. They don't have access to a Bible for their very own hands or in their own language. And we often do in Western, um, Western culture. And with that being the case, we need to take advantage of it. Learn how to study it. Spend time in these pages and asking God to show us what they mean. Be in the word regularly. That's the first way to check your theology. The second way to check your theology is to read the work of people who know the context, who knew the original languages. This aids our understanding. These are often called commentaries. And you can get commentaries from almost every single denomination, every pastor, scholar, there are so many different ones out there. But as you are choosing them, you can choose to read from multiple perspectives. Recently, in, in today's society, it's been the craving of so many of us to get unbiased news, right? Or maybe you follow the Instagram ac account that's multiple news perspectives. They show uh, right, left, and center all in a row where you can see the different headlines and you can see the content of the pieces all on the same subject. You can actually do that with theology by reading multiple commentaries on a passage. You can open up to Hebrews and then you can get a commentary from one angle and another from another angle and you can hear these voices together in harmony giving you a perspective on that passage. These scholars allow us to understand what the passages mean, how they affect our lives, and they give us wisdom and knowledge so we can discern when someone is teaching false doctrine, when they are teaching something about Christianity that is not true. So by spending time in the Word and beginning to search out scholars who can help educate us, there are so many free resources, you guys, that will help you with this, we then have more confidence to own our faith and not be tossed around or led astray by false teaching. This brings us to my last point for this particular section on doctrine. Is all Christian information created equal? The answer is no. You might think it is. I mean, it's Christian, right? I can trust it. But we need to be able to discern whether something is measuring up to the ultimate standard. Of scripture. There is a standard for Christian material, and it's the Bible rightly divided. I want to go and look at 1 Timothy 2.15 with you. You may have heard this verse before, where it says, um, or I believe it's 2 Timothy 2.15. Oops-a-daisies. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Other passages, or excuse me, other translations will say rightly dividing the word of truth, rightly handling or rightly dividing the word of truth. So we need the Bible in order to know what is true teaching and what is false teaching. But it has to be rightly handled and rightly divided. There are people who teach the Bible and who don't teach it accurately, who don't teach it in context, who will twist it either to abuse or to cover up sin. And we don't want to go into either of those camps. So when we have the foundation of scripture and we start to learn how to rightly divide it, how to read the scholars who are rightly dividing it, we're able to know when we're being lied to. 
when we're hearing that false teaching. But this doesn't mean that we need to be afraid. It just means that we're growing in our wisdom, growing in the knowledge. This Bible, these words are planting seeds of knowledge in our hearts, but we have to do something with those seeds. God may be planting them, he may be watering them, but we have to tend to those little seedlings. I live in the country and we're starting our second garden this year. I'm starting the seedlings inside because it's really cold here for most of the year. And to tend to those seedlings, I have to buy a grow light to keep them warm. And I have to watch them and water them and then very carefully take them out into the wind for a few hours a day so that they get strong and accustomed to standing up to the weather. And then I bring them back inside. And then eventually I'll plant them in the ground and they'll grow up and they'll bear fruit. When it comes to the seeds of knowledge in our lives, God will plant them, he will water them, he might even bring them outside as they start to grow so he can harden them off and so that they'll bear fruit. But you have to actually water those seeds. You have to tend and care for those seedlings of knowledge. And when we remain passive or limited in our pursuit of biblical knowledge, our experience of God remains limited as well. We eventually get to this plateau where the experience and the feeling and the emotion doesn't really have an anchor or it doesn't have a foundation to give it substance. It's just feeling. And in today's society where we have to be able to give a defense for what we believe and how we live, we've got to have more of a foundation than that. So as we journey into this deeper knowledge of God through his word and through the rich history of the saints and of the church, we grow in our appreciation for and our intimacy with God himself. Okay, so now you might be asking, great, I know I need to have these seeds of knowledge. I need to tend to them. I need to care for them. I need to be in the word. But how do I determine what is sound teaching, what is good and trustworthy, how do I discern what is true? We're gonna look at a couple of terms and a couple of passages that hopefully will help with this. And then first one that we're going to talk about is orthodoxy. Orthodoxy refers to Christians adhering to the essential core doctrines of the faith. Essential core doctrines of the faith. There's a quote by G.K. Chesterton and he said, this is what orthodoxy means. It means the Apostles' Creed as understood by everybody calling himself Christian and the general historic conduct of those who held such a creed. So what's the Apostles' Creed? I'm going to read this to you. This is the earliest statement of faith by the church, most likely established within the first one or two centuries. So when the church was growing, they needed to establish, this is what we know, this is what we teach, this is what we trust. And so they established this short creed that is still read in churches today. And it says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and buried, he descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick, the living, and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, 
the Holy Catholic Church, Catholic means universal or whole, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So this was a statement saying, here are the core doctrines of our faith. Now, G.K. Chesterton says here that the Apostles' Creed was the foundation, but also the historic conduct of people who believed that creed. And for that, we can look at Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council, where Paul talks about, Paul and the apostles are talking about what they need to train new Christians in. What do they need to obey? What laws from the Old Testament are necessary for those who are coming into the faith? Because if you remember, the faith, the Christian faith was first given to the Jews. So the first converts to Christianity were Jewish, and as non-Jews were joining, the Jews had to then ask, should we have these people observing the Levitical laws, and etc. So in Acts 15, they decide what kind of conduct would be expected as these new Christians are growing. And they tell them to observe four things. They want them to abstain from drinking blood and meat that's strangled, so has blood in it. They want them to abstain from worshiping idols, and they want them to abstain from sexual immorality. So these four things sum up three principles that are necessary to the Christian faith. Sanctity of life, sanctity of worship, and sanctity of sex. So the sanctity of life, that applies to the whole of life, right? Blood was life. And so when they said, don't be eating blood or eating meat that was strangled, they were saying that Christians need to have a respect for life. And that starts with what you're eating because life is in the blood and it's symbolic of life, but also to how we view other people, how we look at other image bearers, how we treat them, how we honor them. Sanctity of worship had to do with only worshiping the one true God and not adding in these other idols. And sanctity of sex was a defense and an expectation that Christians would adhere to the sexual ethic as expressed in the Old Testament and upheld by Jesus in Mark 10. So orthodoxy then is the Apostles' Creed plus what was expected as conduct by the Apostles for the Christian Church, which that foundation is laid in Acts 15. Another way to say this is the settled, indispensable, known, established doctrines of the church. So these things are settled, they're indispensable, they're not debatable, they're absolutely necessary. I wanna look at a few other passages before we go on to our next term. We're gonna be looking at Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, which says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. He's warning about people who are departing from the faith because they're starting to lose sight of those necessary core doctrines. Another passage is 2 Timothy 4.3, which says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Isn't that happening today? We don't like a teaching. We're uncomfortable with the doctrines that the church has upheld for these years. And then we decide, you know what? I just don't want to. I don't like it. I'm going to find a way around that. And so they find a teacher who suits 
their itching ears to hear what they want to hear instead of to hear the hard truth that sometimes comes with scripture. So in, in knowing this and knowing here's what orthodoxy is and the temptation to depart from orthodoxy that leads us to our next term, which is heresy. Heresy is denying the settled doctrines of the church or adapting them to cultural viewpoints. And there are two types of heresy. There's formal heresy, which is when someone knows the essentials of Christianity and intentionally rejects that message. So they're rejecting the resurrection, Jesus' death, or the nature of the Trinity, the concept of sin, or the sexual ethic. It looks very convincing when people do this because they'll often use scripture to back themselves up. But this scripture is often used out of context, which is why grounding ourselves in the word, asking the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom, and taking the time to read commentaries, talk to trusted scholars by watching them online or engaging them with them where we can, helps us to be able to spot this. And then material heresy is basically accidentally believing something because it's what you were taught and you didn't know any better. Or maybe you drew a conclusion through ignorance and as you grew in your faith, you learned the truth. Material heresy happens to all of us. And it's nothing like formal heresy in its seriousness. We all make mistakes as we're growing in our understanding of doctrine and, and watering those little seeds of knowledge. And it's okay to make mistakes. We want to be able to feel safe to ask questions, hard questions of the text. But we also need to be able to recognize when someone is outright rejecting core pieces of Christianity while still trying to call themselves a Christian. There's a difference between those two things. Okay, so now we know that doctrine is important and the core doctrines of Christianity matter. So what do we do now? What now? Let's look at Hebrews 5.14. In Hebrews, this letter is being written to a group of people who are being led astray by some false teaching. They're, they've been taught the truth over and over, but they're just not getting it. They're not growing. And so the author says to them, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone still to teach you again the basic principles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And I think this is such a profound statement because what he's, he is saying here is we need to grow up beyond the basic teachings. The basic teachings are important, they're foundational, but we need to grow to the point where we can discern by practice what is good and what is evil. And that only happens as we press into the knowledge of the will of God, like Ephesians 5 said at the beginning. Now let's look at 1 John 4, 4. In 1 John 4, he's discussing how we're to live as Christians, that we are to love God and we are to love others. And then he gives a warning and says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. 
Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So what he's saying is, there are going to be deceitful spirits, deceitful teachings that are out in the world, but you don't need to be afraid of them. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He counteracts the lies that you are worthless, that he is only an unloving judge. And he also gives the wisdom to identify the lies in the teachings we hear from the world or from compromised Christianity. He helps us have the strength and the knowledge to see what is true and to see what is not. So discernment is practiced by those who are growing in holiness and maturity. As we grow in our faith and our love for the Lord, we learn how to discern the truth. The scriptures come alive through the Holy Spirit as we are making these decisions in our life. We learn how to apply these words to our lives as we are walking in that knowledge that the Lord gives. So here are some practicals on actually executing discernment because I know I like practicals and I want to know, okay, this is great. I'm pressing into the word. I'm learning how to water these seeds of knowledge, but what do I do when I see this information about, say, someone deciding that they're not going to celebrate Christmas anymore? Or if I see somebody saying that this is the standard of modesty and there's no difference on it, or why are there different denominations? Those are all excellent questions. And so I'm going to give you a little breakdown. I can't take credit for this structure, this breakdown. It's actually by Albert Moeller, but I thought it was a really helpful way of describing how to make sense of discerning different issues in Christianity. This is called theological triage, or how to determine an issue's heretical level. So is this a heresy? Is it a rejection of a core doctrine of Christianity? Or is this simply a freedom issue where we're going to differ on a certain practice in the church? So there are three levels of issues in Christianity and doctrine and theology. The first is first order issue, doctrines essential to the Christian faith. Remember when we were talking about those settled, indispensable teachings, the ones that have to be there, the ones that are in the Apostles' Creed and in Acts 15? Those are first order doctrines. They are essential. So a few of these might be the resurrection, the virgin birth, caring for the oppressed, loving others, loving God, the church as Christ's bride. So the church is the family of God. These are all first order issues, essential doctrines that are part of our faith. Original sin, that's another one. The atonement on the cross. These are essential to the Christian faith. They, they really can't be compromised. They, they are essential to calling oneself a Christian. And that's why G.K. Chesterton said that the Apostles' Creed and the behavior of those who held to it were the guide of what's essential to Christianity. So those are the first order issues. Second order issues are issues that usually separate denominations. They prevent fellowship under the same church authority because the disagreements are too big for say a Baptist and a Catholic to worship in the same body. But typically the difference here is not over the core doctrine, it's over the question of how. So 
most Christians agree we should care for the oppressed. Or most Christians, all they should agree, that salvation is by Christ alone, by grace, through faith. So if we know this, then we are, and we believe it, then we are a Christian. But where Christians tend to then separate into different camps is over the question of how. How does this work out? How does salvation work? A Calvinist, for instance, would say salvation works by God choosing who would be saved. An Arminian Christian would say salvation works by God knowing who will be saved, but he allows man to choose or reject him. That's an example of a theological difference for two Christian people that is such a big difference, they end up worshiping in different denominations or churches. They are still brother and sister in Christ. But the question of how does this work out is what ends up separating them. Those are secondary issues. The third order issues are disagreements that you could have with somebody who's still attending your actual church. You're remaining in that church body, you're worshiping together, but you have some differences on Christian lifestyle. So for instance, maybe you're really not comfortable letting your kids watch Harry Potter and another person is totally comfortable letting their kids watch Harry Potter. Maybe you have different modesty standards. Maybe your home structure and your marriage looks different than this other person's. These are examples of freedom issues within Christianity. It doesn't mean that they don't matter and this is important. Modesty, gender roles in the home, parenting, school choice, holidays, media, these things all matter a lot. But what we need to remember is that these are not core doctrines of Christianity. They're the outworking of the core doctrines. As we walk in the Holy Spirit and he convicts us specifically, our lives may look very different, but the core doctrines remain the same. And that's why we need to know what those core doctrines are as we press into the word. You don't have to know them overnight. You can take some time to dig in and just grow slowly. The Lord will walk with you in that process because remember, he's the ultimate gardener. He's the one sowing these seeds of knowledge and helping you grow in them. But I believe as we understand the difference between first, secondary, and third order issues, we'll actually have a lot more peace and a lot more grace for other Christians. So as we conclude, I wanted to just leave you with a few practical steps if you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed and you don't know where to start. Number one, start with the Word of God. I know I've said that over and over, but it really is what you need in order to grow in the faith, in order to know God's heart and to learn what He wants you to know about Him and about being a part of His family. If you don't know where to start, the book Women of the Word by Jen Wilkin is super helpful. I have Bible study resources on my own website, FeliciaMasonheimer.com, and there are countless free resources online elsewhere as well. Find a community of faith. When you seek out a community of faith, you're finding a family of people who will support you and walk with you and teach you solid teaching. That is so important. You need to be growing just as Hebrews 5 was admonishing the people, don't just keep consuming milk, let's move on to grown-up food so that you mature. 
expand into reading theology books. Now, I don't mean that you have to be reading some book that this that's this thick. There are so many good ones out there that are accessible and relatable. Um, you, you can read maybe based on something you're interested in. I want to learn more about the attributes of God, or I want to learn more about how the Trinity works, or maybe I want to know what happened at the cross. These are great questions, and there's a book for all of them. Learn some terms. Now, this may be a little bit of a journey for you, and that's okay. But learning a few of the definitions and the terms that are common to Christianity can be very helpful as you grow in your knowledge. For instance, justification, which means you're receiving Christ's righteousness as your own. Or sanctification, becoming more pure and reflecting his holiness. These terms will help you in your Bible study and help you as you advance into reading a little bit deeper work. And lastly, pray for grace and growth. Pray for God to help you and equip you. Pray for the desire to learn. Pray for grace for others who are doing things a little differently. And pray for the wisdom and the knowledge to know when something isn't true. I want to encourage you, if this feels overwhelming, that everybody has to start somewhere. And here's the best part. God is equipping you for this. He planted these seeds of knowledge. He's going to help them grow. He's going to help you know that the doctrines you're learning about the faith you hold they ultimately will lead to a devotion to him that is deep and immovable and brings you joy and peace. Doctrine really does lead to devotion. It really is exciting as you press into it and you begin to feel more confident and feel as if you can access the wealth of knowledge that's given to us in church history through the scholars and through the saints. I hope that this gave you just a tiny taste of the excitement that is theology and that you will dig into the word and find the knowledge and the will of God. I hope that bless y'all and that y'all just got all you needed from that sermon and that teaching. It was really, really good and really powerful. And so just to get a little bit more glimpse into the Sow the Seed Summit, it was a virtual summit we hosted earlier this year. And if you register today or any point before the end of this year, you get all the content until December 31st. So make sure you go to the link in our show notes to get it. It's 15 plus speakers, meditations, all different kinds of resources. So you can continue to grow in your faith and live your most full life that God has given you. Y'all, I pray that conversation blessed you and that you're able to apply something you either learned or heard to your continued growth on your faith journey. I invite you to study more on the scriptures we talked about on this episode and don't let any conviction you experience go without prayer and action. Share any thoughts or testimonies you may have by leaving us a rate or review and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Meet us next time for another episode and if you don't already, follow us on Instagram following at PD or at we.r.fool to learn more about our growing community and get connected with us.